ruined. Maybe we feel like we have been beat down, destroyed, and broken. God, would you speak, just as we see in Ezekiel, would you speak life into these dry bones, that those who are outside the four walls of the church, those who are, uh, have no relationship with Jesus Christ, would come to understand the reality and the truth that you can speak life into things that are broken, things that are dead, things that have been beat down, abused, neglected, and left for no good. And so God, today I pray that the power of your word would be evident, that your spirit would touch each individual here, God, that you would speak to their heart, that wherever they are in life, God, that you would encourage them, that you would boldly stand before them, that they would understand that you are with them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you, as you have a seat, grab your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. And as I think about the words that we just sang, I, I want you to think about what we are attempting to do as a church, what churches here in Independence are doing or attempting to do as well. And I want you to think about uh, our sermon series at the same time. We're talking about being battle ready, moving forward by faith. In other words, being obedient to what God has called us to do, to move forward into the world of the unknown, into the, the really the enemy territory. And I want you to think about that because there are a number of things that are going on. Number one, we are, are, are attempting to take back, in, 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 in a literal sense, we are attempting to take back enemy territory. And anytime you take back enemy territory, what happens with the fight? It gets more intense. The enemy does not give up easy. The enemy is not going to cater. He's not going to all of a sudden go, oh, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll just, I'll walk away. I'm not going to give you a battle. When you attempt to take back enemy territory, the enemy will fight back even fiercer than they ever fought before. And I want you to think about that because in reality, what we're seeing take place is really that. We are attempting to make a difference in the lives of individuals around the city of Independence and around the world. With our mission attempts in New Mexico, with, with our, our, I'll even throw this, with our, our recovery uh, ministry that's going on that Darren's leading out in, and there are other people who are leading out in it, I would encourage you, if you are not praying specifically for them on a daily basis, that you need to do it. Because I can tell you one thing, that the enemy does not give up enemy territory easily. He's not going to lighten the load. He's not going to let up. He's not going to give up. He's going to attack even fiercer than he ever did before. And I believe that when a church places itself in a position like that, you place yourself in position to be attacked even heavier and harder. And so I want you to understand that as we look at moving forward and becoming battle ready. In Joshua chapter 3, we're going to be digging into what it means to follow the Lord's leading. A lot of times we think that we're following God, and maybe, maybe we are, maybe we aren't, maybe we're following our, our, our own desires, our own preferences. But what we see in Joshua chapter 3 is this idea of being battle ready and moving forward and following God's leading, because today we're going to see the importance of following godly leaders, as well as what happens when they follow God. In Joshua chapter 3, we begin to unpack this beautiful story how Remember in the past, 
God had led the people across the Red Sea. After leading them across the Red Sea, he gave them the commandments. He told them they were gonna, he was going to give them the promised land. They destroyed the commandments. They want to go back to Israel, or, or I mean, sorry, back to Egypt. As a result, God says, fine, you're going to wander the desert for 40 years. They wander the desert for 40 years. Joshua and Caleb, remember, stand above and beyond everybody else, all the 10 spies. They said, we need to go in and take the land. The other, the other 10 spies said, heck no, they're too big, we can't do it. And as a result of that, everybody who followed the 10 spies, God said, fine, you're going to die. You're going to die in the wilderness. And Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful ones, are going to lead the people into the promised land. But in leading them into the promised land, they have a lot of difficulties they're going to have to face. They've got a lot of adversity. They've got a lot of battles. They've got a lot of enemy territory they have to go in and take over. And as a result of that, they come under fire. They become uh, embattled with a number of things. But I want you to think about following the Lord's leading as we dig into this. There was an elderly woman using a cane, and she was hesitantly waiting to cross a busy street corner because of the heavy traffic. And she waited, and she waited, and she waited, and she waited. And finally, an elderly gentleman, also with a cane, came up to her and asked if he could cross the street with her. And gratefully, she took his arm, but grew progressively more alarmed as he zigged and zagged out of traffic, randomly across the street to the blare of horns of the screech of locked brakes. And finally, on the opposite side, on the opposite curb, she angrily said, you almost got us killed. To which he said, well, that's because I'm blind, ma'am. I thought you were going to lead the way as we crossed. And the reality is, a lot of times, that's the way leadership can be. We think some people are going to lead, some people are going to step up and lead out into a certain area, and we start to follow, and then we realize it might be the blind leading the blind and things like that. But I want you to see today is this, that when you follow the Lord's leading, that the God will never leave you, He will never forsake you, you will face obstacles, and you will face difficulties, but God will always get you through them because He has already laid out the plan and the purpose for which you're going and doing what you're doing. And so as we dig into Joshua chapter 3 today, as we continue moving forward by faith, I want you to look at what he is going to do here. Because when we follow the Lord's leading, we're going to come into seemingly impossible situations. We're going to be facing overwhelming obstacles where God can show his unmatched power and his deliverance so that all people will will know God's power and will fear him. So if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to read the first seven verses. I'm going to read along instead of reading the whole thing. We're going to read along as we get to a certain set. But listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and what? What? Follow it. Remember that the idea of the ark of the covenant was that the ark dwelled or or God dwelt in the midst of the wings of the cherubim on the ark. That when the the ark moved, God led by a, 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 a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. You remember that. So when the ark moves, he says we want you to to, to move out from your position and you're to follow it. Why? Because it's the idea that the God is leading them on into where he wants them to go. 
And then he says, then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance, about a thousand yards, yours may say 300 uh, feet between you and the ark. Do not go near it. There's this idea that in the midst of God's holiness and everything, when God gave the people the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he told them to stay back. You got to stay away, stay back. I'm giving the commandments. There's this holiness thing that's going on. And I believe that what we're seeing is almost the similar situation. Before it was the Ten Commandments, and now he's with the ark, going to lead him across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. It says you need to stay back about a thousand uh, or or a thousand yards or 3,000 feet. I think I said 300 earlier. Listen to verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Jesus said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters to go and stand in the river. So what we said today, or what we're looking at, is this idea of being obedient, following the Lord's leadings. And if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that we must be obedient to God's leading, regardless of the obstacles that are in front of us. We must be obedient to God's leading, regardless of the obstacles that are in front of us. God takes them to an impossible situation, in an impossible circumstances, to let them see not how they can be great workers and do great things, but how God is going to provide for them to take them into where he already promised them. And so what we have to begin to understand is that when we move forward by faith, that we are going to move forward out of obedience to God's leading, regardless of the obstacles that we face before us. And we kind of mentioned that a couple weeks ago when we talked about Numbers chapter 13 and 14, the very first sermon we did. But I want you to think about this, because when we are obedient to God's leading, when we are obedient to God's leading, regardless of the obstacles that are in front of us, then we will succeed in doing what God has called us to do in the first place. See, what ended up happening or what ends up happening in our lives is we run into an obstacle and we're just like the Israel people, Israelite people. We run into this obstacle and we were like, whoa, wait a second, that is way too big. And what do we want to do? We'll turn around. We'll find another direction. We'll find a different way. We'll just, we'll go around and and, and do whatever we have to do. And I want you to understand this, that when God has called you to do something, following him obediently is the first priority in your life, period. No matter the obstacle you face, you do what God has called you to do, especially when it lines up with God's word. See, I think too many people are too afraid to follow God's word, and they're so worried about what everybody else will think. That's why I think one of the biggest struggles with most pastors are today. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to bash pastors. Hear me out. I was at Southern, or the Missouri Baptist Convention this last week. And over and over and over again, I heard pastors say, man, my church is brutal. My church treats us like trash. My church says it's got to be this way or the highway. My church this, my church that. And what I'm here to say is this. As a pastor, and I said this when I came to interview, and I still stand by this. It is my job as the pastor, first and foremost, to be obedient to God. And if obedience to God causes me to be on the wrong side of the tracks from somebody else, I will always choose obedience to God 
over catering to the whims of man. And that's the reality that every individual should understand, that you have to be obedient to God and God's word first and foremost before you ever cater to the whims of mankind. And we are in a society today that says you gotta cater. You can't do these things. Don't, don't change. You can change God's word as long as you are loving other individuals. And the reality is you have to stand on the truth of God's word and be obedient to him long before you ever cater to the whims of man. So we must be obedient to God's leading regardless of the obstacles that are in front of us. That's the key point. If you remember anything, I want you to remember that. So here's the question. How do we overcome impossible obstacles? I was hunting last week. You guys know that. I was out hunting in Wyoming, and there's an area that three years ago we got, or I guess I think it was three years ago, three years ago we got an elk. It's about a, a 1.7 miles from our cabin. It's on the backside of these mountains. You have to climb up to almost 8,000 feet from about, I think it's about 6,100 feet over there. You climb up to 8,000 feet. Once you get to 8,000 feet, then you descend down over a mile down to 5,500 feet, all right? So the elk is back here on the backside of the mountains. We have to go up over the mountain, down a mile, it's 1.7 miles with a big six by six bull elk. Now, for those of you who don't know, there's only two of us. It's me and my dad. And my dad's in his 60s. So we have to quarter the elk out and we have to carry it. The obstacles seem overwhelming, but guess what ends up happening? You go bit by bit, piece by piece, 100 yards at a time. You carry a section, 100 yards, you go back, you get the next section, you carry it 100 yards, and it seems like a monotonous thing. I love it, all right? And I know you can say it, you're crazy, but it's awesome. Anyways, if you haven't done it, you're missing out. That's all I can say. <laughs> but it's, it's the best thing. But when we got that elk, I'll never forget the first thought in my mind. Oh my gosh, we gotta carry this thing back. We just got it 1.7 miles from the cabin. And I'm not talking, like, you can think, okay, 1.7 miles. I mean, what's 1.7 miles? I mean, it's probably, like, from here down to the McDonald's on Sterling. I'm just guessing. If you went straight down Chrysler, turned left on 23rd, and went down to the McDonald's on Sterling, that might be 1.7 miles. But guess what? That's pretty well flat. There's not a lot of obstacles. You don't have a bunch of dead trees. You don't have a bunch of firefall from when the forest fire went through and fell over and the obstacles you got to go over. You don't have to go up over 1,000 feet and then back down 1,500. It's just a 1.7 mile jaunt. Obstacles can always be overwhelming when you look at the size of the obstacle instead of being obedient to what God has called you to do. All God sees is, hey, my people are being obedient. I'm going to bless them and I'm going to encourage them. Or, hey, my people are being disobedient and they're not doing what I called them to do. So remember, we must be obedient to God's leading regardless of the obstacles. So how do we overcome impossible obstacles? Number one, we have to know that obedience is our success. Listen to what takes place in those verses. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What we have to begin to understand is they're getting ready to march into the promised land, and the march into the promised land was laid out in Numbers chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 10. But the movement of the ark in front of the people was to lead them to the place of rest, the promised land. And so he's saying, you have to know that obedience is our success. And what he lays out is this. He says, carry it. 
for you are to move out from your position and follow it. So when the Levites begin to carry the ark, as they carry it out, what are the people to do? They're supposed to sit there, right? What are they supposed to do? Stay back, but they're supposed to follow it. They're supposed to get up. It says to move out from your positions and follow it. That's the step of obedience that God is calling the people. I am leading you into the promised land. Here is the prescription with which I'm giving you. The ark is going to move. As the ark begins to move, you are going to move out and you're going to follow it. And that following represents that they are following God down the path that he has placed before him into the promised land. And what I want you to begin to understand is this, that God has called us right where you and I are at to follow him no matter the cost, to get up, to move out, to follow him no matter the obstacle I face, no matter the difficulty I'm going to go through, that I move forward following him. I, I, I am so convinced of this that because of what we talked about earlier, because we are in enemy territory, territory and we are trying to take back enemy territory, most churches cower in fear, worried that if they do something wrong, they're going to miss out. They're going to offend something. But listen to me. I would rather do something wrong in attempting to be obedient to God than not do anything at all. Most churches have sat back and gone, oh, you know what? We just can't. We, we, we can't. We're, we've always done it this way. We can't do it any other way. But obedience to God is our success. So when we know that obedience to God is our success, then we follow him no matter the cost. See, the people were to move out and follow the ark, which represents following the Lord's lead. And then they would know. Listen, then they would know which way to go. That's what he says. Then, once you follow it, then you will know which way to what? I am convinced that most Christians, because we're not willing to move up or move out and follow God first, most Christians miss out on knowing which way to go because we're not willing to follow in the first place. Following is the prerequisite. When I follow the Lord, then I will know which way to go. One of the biggest questions most teenagers have is, what am I supposed to do? Especially as they're getting close to graduating. They're getting close to graduating. They're like, ah, oh, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. How do I know God's will? You want to know how you know God's will? You follow God first. When you follow God first, then he will show you which way to go. He's not going to show you if you're not willing to follow him. And that is the biggest struggle most of us struggle with. We want him to tell us what to do or tell us where to go. Then we'll what? Then we'll follow. When God says, no, 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 that's not the way it goes. You follow me, then I'll show you which way to go. Obedience is the success rate. Obedience is our success in what we do. What we do out of obedience to God will lead us to where we're supposed to go. So a church that is on mission for God We'll be following God consistently. We'll be following Jesus Christ consistently. And then when Jesus says, I want you to do this, guess what you do? You do it. So how do we overcome those important or those impossible obstacles in our life? We have to follow God first, and then he will give us the direction. See, they kept their distance when they received the commandments on Mount Sinai, which I talked about earlier, and they were keeping their distance here as they were walking in the right way. So they were 
living right. There was this right living that they should live. They were being obedient to what God had done. And what we have to begin to understand is that when we enter a land of the unknown, when we fear God, when we know God and we follow God, he will never lead you down the wrong path. When you follow him, he will take you down the right path. The sad thing is, like I said, is most of us want him to him to take us down the right path, then we'll follow him. When following is the first thing that we have to do. So remember this. How do I overcome impossible obstacles? I have to know that obedience is my success first and foremost. When I'm obedient to God, then I will be successful. If I'm not obedient to God, I'm not successful. That's the idea of moving, moving forward by faith. I'll even say this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you a heads up about what may potentially be coming down the road. For those of you who don't know, Jackson County, not too long ago, sent us some paperwork, and they want us to, uh, in, in, uh, along with tax information and everything else like that, they want us to send in our constitution and bylaws. And here's, here's my opinion. I can't, can't say that. I don't even know if I necessarily want, but here's my opinion of what we're heading down as a church not just our church, but churches in general in the United States. I believe that this is what's going to be coming down the road from our government, both state, uh, both local, state, as well as, as federal. I believe that what's going to happen, churches right now are tax exempt, all right? And there's a reason why that is. It's a nonprofit organization. Every nonprofit organization is tax exempt. Planned Parenthood is considered a nonprofit organization is a tax exempt, if you don't know that, all right? But I want to lay something out. They have asked for a constitution and bylaws. Here's what I believe is going to come up, all right? Because obedience is our success. I believe that Jackson County or the state of Missouri at some point in time will say, hey, you guys got stuff in here where you won't marry homosexuals. You got stuff in here that says uh, that's a sin. You, you have stuff in here that says that, that transgenders can't be members of your church. So guess what? You're going to lose your tax-exempt status. Now, let me tell you how that's going to play out. Okay, just give you a warning because this is what's going to happen if, if, if it goes or continues down that road. If we go down that road, five, ten years maybe, maybe even sooner, do you realize what we'll have to do? It's called taxes. So you owe property tax on this building every year. All right? Now, this is where we can go, oh my gosh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, everything's falling apart. Or we can do this. Obedience is my... Success. Regardless of what the government says, I will always be obedient to what? God first. When I am obedient to God first, that is my success. If it costs us a building, fine, because a building does not stop the growth of the church. A building does not stop the movement of the gospel. A building is not the big picture idea. We use the building as a benefit, but the reality is obedience is our success, so we will always be obedient to God before we will ever cater to the whims of man. And I hope you understand that. Because that, in reality, is where our government is heading. Now, let me clarify real quickly. If you're homosexual, you're transgender, and things like that, we welcome you. We will love you. We will encourage you. We will, we will love on you as much as we can love on you with the gospel. But I also want to be very clear that in everything that God does, God's word is always primary, and man's opinion is secondary. So we will stand by you, we will love you, we will encourage you, but we cannot neglect what is sin. Now, let's be clear. If you are heterosexual 
and you're living outside the bounds of marriage with another woman, and you're having sexual relations with her, guess what? You're in the same boat, bro. So, this is not a isolation, bigotry issue. Not whatsoever. It is a gospel issue. And I hope you understand the reality of what takes place with that. So with the obstacles we face, obedience is our success. All right? How do we overcome impossible obstacles? Number two, watch for God's work in your life. Look at verse nine and following. Watch for God's work in your life. I believe that a lot of times we tend to look at the negative. At least I do. I go to the negative side of things rather than the positive side of things. Listen to what happens in verse 9 and following. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. A lot of ites, you got it, right? See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at what? What? Flood stage. The Jordan is at flood stage, flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground. Here's the reality and here's what we begin to see. We have to watch for God's work in our lives. See, we are and can become easily fixated on the difficulties and the trials before us. We tend to look at the negative things or the situation in our lives rather than the positive. As a matter of fact, this last week, I was just thinking about this, and I, I think I brought it up to our, our life group on Sunday night. When I was growing up, we used to sing this song, and we may do it one of these uh, days this coming weeks. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Do you count your blessings? Do you count the fact in watching and seeing God work in your life or do you automatically go to the negative? Do you look and see what God has done in your life, how his grace has been poured out upon you, a sinner who was caught and trapped in your sins, but who has been freed by Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross? What you have to begin to understand is that you are free to walk in obedience to Christ. You are free to walk and do what he has called you to do, but we gotta count our blessings, and that's what he's literally laying out there. Count the blessings, because listen, here's what's gonna happen as you follow God, as you are seeking him in obedience, as you are, because of obedience being your sex, your f- success, you are following him, now I begin to see where he's working. So I watch for God's work in my life. Where's he working? What's he doing? How's he working it? See, it's the worst possible time for them to be crossing the Jordan, isn't it? I mean, could you imagine? I'm, I'm just thinking, 
So I'm, I'm trying to think when that was. Probably a month and a half, two months ago, we got a huge rainstorm over a two-day period. And I remember driving, I was driving out to Doug Hodge's place, and you crossed the Little Blue River. And the Little Blue River was like, whew. like, I mean, when I went across, as a matter of fact, I got pictures. I probably should have put pictures up there. But this thing is like out of its banks like crazy. As a matter of fact, uh, we got a picture one of my friends posted. It's like this far underneath the bridge that goes over R.D. Myers Road, um, just past the Little Blue, like six inches. And I'm like, holy smokes. So as I'm studying this this week, it says that the Jordan River, not Little Blue, Jordan River is at flood stage. And God told the Levite priests, as soon as your feet hit the water, guess what's going to happen? The water's going to keep flowing, and then this water's going to stand up like crazy. So all the water downstream, it's gone. This water's going to stand up some ways back, and you're going to cross on dry ground. That's a miraculous feat in and of itself. So just as he led them across the Red Sea, out of slavery, out of their slavery to sin and the Egyptians, he leads them across the Red Sea. Now he's leading them across the Jordan, out of slavery, from the slavery to sin because they wanted to go back where they were, into the promised land. And I want you to know that that today that God does the same thing in the same way because in the waters of baptism... When you are baptized, you are being led out of slavery to sin, raised to walk in new life into the promised land that God has for you. Do you get that big picture that's taking place? So when you are baptized in front of other believers, guess what that is a picture of? You're leaving your old life, you're leaving your life of slavery, you're leaving your life of sin and death, and you are raised to walk in new life. You are no longer yours, you are Christ. And so baptism represents this deliverance into the promised land because we oftentimes do this. Well, I want to get to heaven, but guess what? Heaven starts now. And I'm not saying heaven on earth, I'm not talking, what is that song? Ooh, baby, if you, you know what I'm talking about. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But your eternal life starts now. If you are in Christ, life starts now. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So we watch for God's work in our lives. Could you imagine, honestly, if the little blue river just went, boom, you go and step, put a foot in the water, and all of a sudden, wham, wall of water down there. And then the rest keeps on flowing and you walk right across the little blue river when it's flood stage. Because I remember seeing how high it was. I remember the bridge where all the bikers go across this one area and there was like this much of that bridge sticking up out of the water and I thought, oh my gosh. Little blue river's going crazy. Along with every other river because I remember driving over the Missouri River that day and thinking how high that was. Watch for God's work in your life. Because when I watch for God's work in my life, I begin to not look at the negative things, but I go to the positive things. I count my blessings. See, God is going to work it out. Usually, we just can't see how. We see the obstacle. Matter of fact, six years ago today, I put it on Facebook six years ago on Monday, I was asked to tender my resignation at my last church, but today, six years ago today, is the day I read my letter of resignation at the church. At the time, all I saw was obstacles, all I saw was problems, all I saw was difficulties, all I saw was pain. Today, being able to look back, I count blessings. 
I see encouragement. I see friendships I would have never had. I see a church that I love dearly that I would have never had a relationship with, most likely. I would have probably never put in my resume to this church because at the time I was a youth pastor in a fairly comfortable situation, fairly well taken care of, love Springfield, Missouri, but God saw something else. God had a better plan. And here's the reality. As much as it hurts, when I follow God out of obedience... Sometimes I'm going to face difficulties and struggles and obstacles, but guess what? God just says, nothing. That's nothing because I got it. So count your blessings. Watch for God's work in your life. Number three, how do I overcome impossible obstacles? Remember the things the Lord has done. Look at chapter four, and I told you we were going to kind of run through this, chapter three, chapter four, but... Remember the things the Lord has done. Look what happens as they do that. So we watch for God's work in our lives, all right? But now I want you to think about this, remembering the things that the Lord has done. Look at chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Those are the 12 men that he had already appointed back there uh, in verse, I think it's verse 13 or somewhere around there, verse, verse nine, all right? But he says, choose those 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God. Remember, everybody else is commanded to follow it a thousand feet until they cross. The ark's there. They cross in front of the ark. They're, they're going. Everything's great. The 12 go back. They begin to grab these boulders, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Keep this in mind. Matter of fact, if you like to write or underline or highlight in your Bible, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The idea of the stones was to remember the things the Lord had done. And I want to ask you this question, because this is, this, is this is where the rubber meets the road in reality. Parents, grandparents, and family members, do you encourage your kids by letting them know and remember the things that the Lord has done in your life? that the Lord saved you, the Lord bought you, the Lord purchased you, the Lord redeemed you? Do you remember the fact that where you were and where you are now, do you remind them of the grace of God in their life? Do you thank them and let them know how much you thank God for everything that he's done? Do you look at problems and obstacles as an opportunity for God to show his greatness and his power? Or do you look at problems and obstacles and tell your kids how big of a failure you think God is? Because that's the big question. We live in a world today where so many kids are walking away from the faith. And listen, we can blame it on the church all you want, but the number one culprit is the parents. Because we didn't take the important steps to protect, to encourage, to train, and to remind our kids about the beauty, grace, and power of Jesus Christ. We let the church take care of it. We'll let the church raise the kids. 
The problem is you got 160 hours in a week. Guess how many the average kid spends at church? The average church kid spends at church. Two. There is no way the church can be such a strong influence that that's the only thing your kids will ever grow from. It becomes your responsibility when you become a parent. Remember the things the Lord has done. Remember God's grace. Remember God's mercy. Talk about the difficult times. Let your kids know you have struggles and difficulties, but when God answers it, you better sure as heck let them know that God has answered that with that struggle and difficulty. He has provided a way to overcome the obstacle because God is always faithful to what he said he would do. He will lead his people where he said he was going to lead them. The question is, do you remember the things the Lord has done? See, I could go a number of ways, which at first I started out with. And that was, that guy's a jerk. Matter of fact, my son would probably tell you, I said that a couple times, didn't I? About our old pastor. Guy's a jerk, he's a loser, no good, liar. But I also look now and say, man, I was a complete idiot. Because all I saw was an obstacle. I became so overwhelmed by the obstacle that I took my eyes off the Lord. And when I took my eyes off the Lord, guess what begins to set in? It's called bitterness. Bitterness begins to set in. And as bitterness begins to set in, your heart starts to decay. Why? Because I'm not running to the Lord. I just want to punch somebody. I just want to take somebody out. I just want to let somebody know really how bad a person is. When the reality is this, in the midst of the obstacle, God had to get me to where I was supposed to be. God had to break me of my pride, break me of arrogance, break me of even thinking that I'm such a gift to God's kingdom. And instead, he said, look, I've got a different plan. I've got a different priority. I've got a different purpose. And it doesn't involve that. So if I have to use a painful thing to get you where I'm going to do it, I'm going to use a painful thing to get you where I'm going to use you. The problem is, that's not easy, is it? Nobody likes pain, sorrow, obstacles, difficulties. But guess what? All throughout Scripture, the very people God used went through pain, sorrow, obstacles, and difficulties. Could you imagine being Moses? Leading a pain in the rear end, obstinate people who didn't want to follow him, who complained constantly for 40 years. And you miss out on the promised land because you disobeyed by striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. You miss out on God's plan or God's purpose when you let the obstacle become the priority. So remember the things that the Lord has done. Teach them. Matter of fact, go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. The point of the 12 stones was that there was an altar to be built at the city of Gilgal or at the town of Gilgal that would be a permanent memorial that enables future generations to remember the deliverance of the Lord. Do you focus on that, that you remember the deliverance of the Lord? Matter of fact, for Thanksgiving, do you remember the deliverance God provides? Look, I know why we celebrate Thanksgiving in America. The question is, why do you celebrate Thanksgiving as a Christian? Do you remember all that the Lord has done, or do you just let it go? Because the reality is that the Lord parted the water of the Red Sea to lead the people out of slavery and into freedom. 
He parted the sea or the, 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 the water in the Jordan to lead the people into the promised land out of their slavery to sin. And the Lord can part the waters of your life just as we said. So they set up this permanent memorial to remember that. And here's the big thing. Do you know what a permanent memorial is to remember? The fact that you were trapped in sin and you're now a new life because we just mentioned it. It's baptism. Baptism is a symbol, a permanent symbol. There's nothing magical about that baptism. It's an outward expression of an inward confession that you've made, that you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, you believe he rose again, and as a result of that, my baptism is a permanent memorial. I am placing on notice everybody that I am dead to sin and I am following Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of that, in the midst of the Red Sea, in the midst of the Jordan River, listen to me, your Jordan River may be the fact that you need to be baptized. Maybe you put your faith and trust in Christ and you've never followed him in obedience to baptism. That's what he's calling you to do. That's the walk. That's remembering the things the Lord has done. You're putting your faith and trust already in him and now you're just walking in obedience. And the last thing, how do I overcome important obstacles or impossible obstacles, sorry? I have to follow godly leaders who the Lord has placed in authority. We're going to wrap up with this. I follow godly leaders who the Lord has placed in authority. Now listen, every leader, when they're placed in an authority position, has a responsibility, especially within the church. That leader's responsibility is first and foremost to be obedient to God, secondly, to shepherd the people. If a leader is not obedient to God, there's no way they can shepherd the people properly. So there are times where I've heard people say, well, my pastor said this. That's a completely unbiblical thing. Does what the leader says line up with Scripture? And I would challenge you this every Sunday I preach, that you grade, you evaluate everything I say based upon what? This. Not based upon how you feel about me. Not based upon how close or how far a relationship we may have. You base everything that I say. You evaluate everything. I say, does that line up with God's word? Because there are a lot of things that crept into the church that don't line up with God's word. But when everything lines up with God's word and I follow godly leadership, God does something amazing because I love what he says. Remember in in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, today I will begin to exalt you. He's talking about Joshua. In the eyes of all of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now look at chapter 4, verse 14. It says this to Joshua. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel and they revered him all the days of his life just as they revered Moses. Here's the reality. When you follow godly leadership that the Lord has placed in authority, there's a mutual respect and admiration that takes place. But there's a beauty beyond that that we begin to see in verses 23 and 24. Because listen to what happens. It says, For you, the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And in verse 24 he says this, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know who or what. 
that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. When I follow properly biblical leadership, the goal is not that you succumb or be a servant to that leader, but the goal is, is that through following godly leadership that the Lord has placed in authority, that he did all of it so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is what? powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. When I follow godly leadership in a godly direction in the way he wants me to go, guess what God does in the midst of his church? He encourages the leaders, he builds up the leaders, but listen to me, the leaders get to experience the joy and blessing of a church of people who follow the leadership that God has placed in there. And listen, if ever I step out of line biblically, You catch me stepping out of line biblically. I ask you to call me out on it. I would ask you to call out any biblical leader on it. Matter of fact, I remember at one point I told my wife, we we had a a situation at one point with a a fairly up there person. And I remember coming home to her and I said, if I ever treat people like that person, would you please take a two by four and knock the daylights out of me because I don't deserve to live? And she said, gladly. (laughs) All right? So listen to me. Following godly leaders is not, listen, is not a subservient slave mentality. God puts people in leadership positions because he has something for them to do. And when God's people follow, look, I got people I follow. There are leaders I follow. There are people I, I follow directly. I follow God first and foremost, but there are leaders that I would follow to the death because I know of what type of character and quality they are in obedience to God. And so what I'm saying is this. In the midst of the obstacles, in the midst of the impossible obstacles we may face with trying to overcome or overtake enemy territory, when we move forward with faith, when we follow the Lord's leading, when we are obedient because obedience is our success, When we do those things, God gets the glory because he did this all so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. In the midst of everything that goes on, it wasn't about Joshua. It was about how God took Joshua and shows his power by using Joshua. Remember last week where we talked about how God can use uh, uh, unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish his purpose? Well, it's the same fact of what's taking place. He used Rahab, a prostitute, to carry on the lineage of Jesus last week. And he uses Joshua, an unlikely character, an unlikely person, to end up leading the people into the promised land. That's the beauty of the picture of what Jesus does. When Jesus dies on the cross, I put my faith and trust in him, and I follow him. God uses me in a way that he deems necessary so that people would see his power and that the hand and that the fear of the Lord or to learn to fear the Lord. So the point of everything that the Israelites went through is here, to show God's unmatched power, God's grace, and God's deliverance of his people. And he does this so that others will fear the Lord and see his powerful hand. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let's pray.
God, we know that we face impossible obstacles. There may be family obstacles, there may be church obstacles, it may be personal things, it may be job, it may be homelessness, it may be, I don't even know, I can't even begin, it may, the addictions and things like that that we see running rampant throughout society. But God, we know that you are faithful, we know that you are just, we know that your grace overcomes all of our failures, that you, your death on the cross paid the price that we couldn't pay, that we could be made right in your sight, that when we put our faith and trust in you, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you said that we would be saved. And so God, maybe today there's just somebody who needs to put their faith and trust, they, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they would believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, they would be saved. But maybe there's also somebody here who's never followed you in baptism. God, I thank you for the couple of baptisms we're going to be doing here very soon, but God, I know that as a memorial, that those 12 stones were set up to be a reminder to the people of Israel of what you had delivered them from. And God, today somebody may be able to make the stand and say that, that baptism, that's my memorial. That's my reminder of where I was and where God has delivered me to now. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and I have life and life more abundantly in Christ. And so today as we stand and sing, God, we pray that you receive all the honor and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Listen, if that's you, if you've never been baptized, you want to follow the Lord in baptism, or maybe, maybe you want to put your faith and trust in Christ for the first time, there's nothing magical about coming up here, but I'm asking you to come and talk to me. You can come and talk to me here. You can come and see me at the end. But we're going to stand, we're going to close with a song, and then you'll be dismissed.